0: And when I realized that their plan was to only ship that and to not ship the sort of Halo 1 multiplayer that everyone knew and loved and had taken off in the LAN party setting, um, I just thought that was a huge mistake. And I made a lot of noise about it. Let's see, I joined Bungie in 97. This is Max Homerman. I'm the CEO, founder of Certain Affinity, and prior to that, I was uh, working at Bungie. I was the multiplayer online and user interface design lead for Halo 2.
1: That's right, a video game called Halo 2. One of the most eagerly awaited video games finally goes on sale. Video gamers across the country are anxiously awaiting the midnight release of a game called Halo 2. Five minutes in counting for Halo 2 to go on sale. A game that would change not only my life and career, but also, and much more importantly, the future of multiplayer gaming. Introducing features like matchmaking playlists, parties, an in-game friends list and more that would change the way that we play games together. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Halo 2 Artifacts. I'm Andy bravo dodinsky I'm an esports commentator, and prior to that, I was lucky enough to spend several years working on the Halo franchise myself. In this series, I've teamed up with my good friend Max from the original Bungie team to review hundreds of his original design documents from Halo 2. In the coming episodes, we'll unearth things that have never been discussed, hear some brand new stories, and look back at what made Halo 2 unforgettable and industry shaping. We hope you enjoy. Dude, great to see you. Great to hear from you. Yeah,
0: nice to see you too. Uh, we adopted a little rescue silky terrier right before, like a week before lockdown. Uh huh. I just brought him in. He's only peed once on the plant right inside the door of the office. Marked his territory. <laughs> <laughs> You're not recording all this yet, I hope. <laughs> I've been sharing little tidbits for a couple of years now. It feels mm-hmm. like I've been sharing little tidbits from my old Halo 2 design documents, I guess on Twitter mostly. And yeah. somehow that that led to this notion of, hey, it'd be really cool to actually talk
1: about this stuff a little bit. And you kind of got a sneak peek at all the docs I shared. Yeah, you and I have had a chance to dive into this stuff just a little bit over the years at uh, different panels. Yeah. Some events like Comic-Con and Halo Outpost Discovery where we just barely started to discuss <laughs> all that's included in your original designs. So we thought we'd come together to nerd out about all the details in these documents that people haven't had a chance to hear about yet. Uh, So thanks for joining me. I think this is gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, happy happy to share. I can talk about Halo multiplayer all day. (laughs) Over the course of this series, Max and I will cover things like online and social features, maps, unreleased tidbits from Halo 2, and plenty more. But in order to properly tell the story, today we're gonna start at the very beginning with Max's first days at Bungie. How long before Halo 1's launch did you join Bungie? It was quite a few years, right?
0: Yeah. uh, Let's see. I joined right as Bungie was actually preparing to uh, launch uh, Myth the Fallen Lords, their first Mm -hmm. uh, RTS. Yeah. It was actually an amazing time to join. I wish I'd joined even sooner, but it, it was right. It was in the home stretch of trying to get to Gold Master
1: on Myth. Just a very quick note for listeners here. you'll hear terms like gold or gold master just a few times early on in this series. This term simply means finalizing the content that will ship on the physical disk of a game or piece of software. So the gold disc is the final disc that goes into the box. So like I got there in,
0: in day one, I was hit the ground running like we need you to finish the design for the box because we're going to press with the box in a week. <laughs> and, and wow. uh, we, you know, it was, it was yeah, it was crazy. Um, I, I literally lived at the office for two weeks because I moved up to Chicago and I, I didn't, I'd never been there before except for my half day interview and I didn't have a place, I didn't rent a place or anything. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, after my interview a week later, I packed everything I owned in my car, drove to Chicago and slept on a cot at the office for two weeks wow. and I didn't, I didn't even have time to look for an apartment because I was so busy. <laughs> and uh, so it, I, I was living the dream. Yeah. You know, working, having fun, getting crazy deadlines, getting things done, like real
1: shipping stuff and uh, playtesting what turned out to be one of my all time favorite games. Yeah, talk about getting right into game development head first. That's probably one of the most head first stories I've ever That is, uh, is kind of head first.
0: I think, uh, you know, small company, like I, I think when I was hired at Bungie, I, at least in Chicago, I think I was employee number 12 or 13 or something at the time. Um, not the 12th or 13th, but I think they had 12 or 13 total employees. Mm-hmm. And then there was a really small group, maybe three or four people out of uh, San Jose where they had spun up mm-hmm. the studio that ended up doing Oni.
1: Bungie West, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, Bungie West. It was definitely thrown into the deep end. I remember getting to know Alex who Seropian, who was mm-hmm. the... You know, one of the, the co-founders of Bungie. Yeah, I also became friends pretty quickly with Jason Jones, the other co-founder of Bungie and the you know, creative and development head um, of all you know of all Bungie's games. I became friends with Jason after I found a critical bug. It was probably two or three weeks in we thought we were ready to uh, go gold with uh, Myth. And for some reason, whenever I played the game, and only me, the game would completely hardlock and freeze, Mm -hmm. but only when I was there, and only when I was alone and no one was around watching. (laughs) And it it literally got to a point where I was, uh, I had like the whole company, like standing around my desk, looking over my shoulder, watching me play, trying to understand why, you know, trying to replicate and get the game to hardlock and freeze. And of course it would never do it um, when people were watching. So I was I was super stressed about it because no one else had this bug. It only happened to me, and it was random all over the place. Totally, could not make heads or tails of it. Mm-hmm. So I remember I was I was playing late one night because I was so like stressed out about it, and it happened, and everything hard locked and froze. And it dawned on me suddenly what had happened, and, and as like a light bulb went off, and I figured out. Up until that point, I was actually uh, I was a Mac user, mm-hmm. and I'd only ever used a single button mouse on a Mac. Mm-hmm. and we were we were actually playtesting the windows version of the game trying to get it to gold so i was playing on uh, the sales guy's dave's uh, machine he had a windows machine mm-hmm. and uh, this was before scroll wheels on mice even so yeah. it's just a, but it was a two button mouse and whenever things would get really frenetic and really stressful in the middle of a heated battle or something mm-hmm. i would uh, revert to my old habits and i would actually press the mouse button right in the middle like you did on the single button mouse uh-huh and all it took was clicking both mouse buttons at the same time, and the whole game would hard lock and freeze and crash. It just couldn't take the double input. It could, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it was a critical bug, right, a horrible bug. Yeah. But, yeah. but whenever people were watching me over my shoulder, I, I was like so careful. I never made that mistake. And only later when I was tired and it was frenetic and stressed, right. and then I would uh, go back to my old uh, Mac single mouse button habits. But I guess it was a good thing having discovered that bug so then later that day, I remember Jason Jones invited me to go out to lunch with him and uh, Ryan Martell, the other sort of lead programmer, go out to lunch with him and talk about Dungeons and Dragons. So there you it go. It was an,
1: an amazing introduction to the game industry. I was going <laughs> to say, that's a triumphant QA story. It really was, yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is a great tale. Yeah. So the question now, Max, is how do we get to Halo 1 and your first work on the Halo franchise? So... I I dabbled a little bit because I was doing graphic design and we were
0: a really small company. I also dabbled a little bit with UI design. Mm -hmm. I pretty much took over running the online system for Myth because we launched an online game and then everyone basically moved on to the next game. So we had this awesome online game, which actually was really, really fun. It was was my all-time favorite multiplayer game. And we had had launched BungieNet, this online service, sort of in the vein of Battle.net. And then everyone just forgot about it. So I took it upon myself. I was playing the game every night anyway. Sure. Yeah. I just basically lived at the office and I was playing Myth every night. So I took it upon myself to start to manage the community, organize some volunteer admins, and you know communicate back when some necessary bug fixes to the developers and whatnot. Yeah. And then on Myth two, I ended up being the interface, the UI designer. I was still on the you know publishing team, um, so it was really just a side gig. And I had a um, I had a graphic designer that was helping me. Um, actually, do the visual work, so it was more, you know, it was more wireframes and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a little side gig, and then, then after that, we got acquired by Microsoft, moved out to Seattle, and I think it was just natural for me to continue doing the user interface design. So I did the UI design for Halo, Halo One, and again, I hired a, you know, hired a dedicated UI artist designer, and also I ended up founding Bungie's community team when we went out to uh, Microsoft and running linux boxes inside of microsoft, you know, in 2000 which was a continuous battle. Yeah, I bet.
1: <laughs> Let's next talk Halo 1 multiplayer because you're doing UI at this time. You're not involved in multiplayer work specifically. And not only that, but multiplayer barely gets out the door for Halo 1. Yeah. (laughs) So tell me what you remember both about early Halo multiplayer prototypes and then also the final multiplayer that ended up shipping with Halo 1. Because those are, of course, two very different things.
0: In the early days when we were still in Chicago, in early, early Halo days, like before Xbox, before console, we were still... Uh, people think we're we're developing for the Mac first. You know, Steve Jobs on the stage, it's been being developed for the Mac first.
1: We are starting to see some great games come back to the Mac, but this is one of the coolest I've ever seen. This game is gonna ship early next year from Bungie, and we're gonna see, for the first time, Halo. Welcome, Jason.
0: It was actually not the case. Really, it was actually Windows first. <laughs> Back when it was still a, a PC game, the, the team had dabbled a little bit in multiplayer. I actually have a, I have a very clear vision of playing one of their games, the early games on one of the early maps, and it was gonna be this um, more immersive um, Marines versus Covenant, round-based, uh, sort of asymmetric attacker-defender type experience.
1: So this is like early Halo multiplayer experiments? Yeah, yeah,
0: with maps that were much more strategically designed or you know, sort of control point-based in a sense, you have a choice: take the gun or take the am- ammo dump, and those sorts of things. And I remember actually play testing that. So I had a I had a vague idea of what it was they were aiming for, but I wasn't I wasn't involved in any of that um, outside of just hey we need an- someone else to help play test mm-hmm. um, in the Chicago days. And then on Halo One, I was never involved in in the multiplayer, and I know that you know the single player ended up being sort of all consuming, and then late in the game uh, multiplayer, you know, the, the team scrambled to, to get, you know, multiplayer figured out because we needed it, um, which is how blood Gulch and everything came about. And I think they just defaulted to what they knew Mm -hmm. kind of went back to marathon-esque, um, you know, arena style, but okay, arena, but we've got vehicles, you know? And so you end up with a hybrid, a mix of, you know, you also have people on a single Xbox, so it's like okay, we need to give people something to play when they, you know, when it's just two of them or four of them or whatever, no network. Right. So you ended up with a array of maps everything from those small arenas, you know, things like Longest or, or Wizard or those, you know, real small arenas mm-hmm. all the way up to kind of Blood Gulch and Sidewinder
1: and these big vehicle really arenas. Yeah. Uh, looking ahead, walk me through this in our timeline. Halo 1 is out the door. Halo 2 development is underway where do things start for you on the project in terms of your role when we started
0: halo 2 i wasn't part of the dev team i was still running the community team mm-hmm. they had a uh, design spec for this warfare game mode which was really what they had wanted to do before sort of halo one arena style back when we were in chicago i think it was jamie's design doc and it had some map designs in it mm-hmm. three i think three different uh, map design kind t- of top down paper designs and I saw that. And when I realized that their plan was to only ship that and to not ship the sort of Halo 1 multiplayer that everyone knew and loved and had taken off in the LAN party setting, I just thought that was a huge mistake. Um, and, and I made a lot of noise about it. And I was generally just being a pin in the ass, railing on about how what a huge mistake it would be to not, you know, not support all the things that we shipped in Halo 1. Yeah. Um, you know, running around on Blood Gulch and, you know, small scale wizard, shoddy, CTF, all that, all that fun stuff. Right. Um, in general, in general though, my stance was, it's just a huge mistake to design for this large scale round based multiplayer only. We really need to, you know, what, what we shipped with Halo one, if we can take that online, um, and evolve it, like people are loving it. Let's not, what's the expression Throw out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak. And I I was enough of a pain in the ass that, uh, or made a compelling enough case or both, that uh, Alex and Jason, this is when Seropian was still there, the the two co-founders of Bungie, Mm -hmm. um, came to me and finally said, hey, we sort of agree with you that it'd be a mistake to not not do the small-scale multiplayer. So we'd like to do it and we'd like you to lead it. Um, But I had never actually led any, I'd never
1: been really a developer before. (laughs) So the stage is set. At this point in our story, the larger Halo 2 multiplayer team will continue on building the large-scale multiplayer known as Warfare, and Max and a small team will start building the small-scale multiplayer that resembled Halo 1. Both of these are to ship with Halo 2. So Halo 2 was my first foray into game development, but I actually
0: had a team within a team, and then I picked up one single artist, part artist, part level designer, which was Chris Carney, Mm -hmm. And they all reported to me. And we would even sit with the rest of the team early on on Halo 2. um, And and I had my own team that all reported to me with no producer.
1: (laughs) And at this point, it's kind of interesting because you're building one thing. They're building another. And that's really clear in the documents that I've been going through. There's a huge split between anything small-scale multiplayer and anything large-scale, which, of course, upon my first viewing— when I first got my hands on them, I assumed that was just small scale, small maps, 4v4, all the way up to 8v8, big team battle. But actually at this point, there was still a hard line in the sand between yeah. your multiplayer and the warfare multiplayer.
0: Yeah. So it's actually interesting. And only when you look at those docs, do you really understand that those docs are snapshots in time. And even as I've been looking through docs here and there, I stumbled on one and I have to try and recall. I'm like, all right, where were we at at that point in time? But, mm-hmm. you know, back when you're talking about in November of 2002, so we shipped, that's a year after we shipped Halo 1, if I recall. Yeah. And that's actually, that's only shortly after I actually, I joined full-time development on Halo 2. So so I dove in um, kind of head first, And the plan was the core dev team was actually going to implement Warfare, but I would also implement the small scale mm-hmm. so that, you know, poor unfortunates who didn't have fast enough internet connection, didn't have any kind of broadband, still dial up modem back then, could still have fun, right?
1: And mm-hmm. land parties could still exist and all that. Which was the overwhelming majority of the the U.S. at yeah. the time, I think, oh, yeah. in 2001, 2002, right?
0: Yeah, we were, we were actually going through predictions, like we were looking at forecasts for um, broadband internet adoption mm-hmm. for, at the time we launched and trying to guesstimate at what uh, broadband penetration would be. I was really adamant that we give something to everyone, so to speak, whether they had broadband or not. Um, it, but also there was an experience that I thought it was important to recreate. It was yeah. just, it was just a hell of a lot of fun. Of course. Yeah. So, so yeah. The, yeah. When, when you look at those documents early on, there was a, a hard line in the sand and I was, I truly was in charge. I had a separate team. We weren't even integrated. We still sat in a separate room. It was the community team, but all the community stuff, you know, I kind of had to hand off. I ended up hiring uh, sketch
1: to take over running the the community team on my behalf. Yeah, and of course, the Halo franchise and community are lucky to once again have Sketch at the helm. Uh, community director, I believe is his title, on yeah, the franchise yeah. now. But back to the story, Max. Um, when does this all change? Because we know that this is not the way that things would ultimately move forward, of course, with Halo <laughs> 2 having two very different versions of multiplayer. I remember six
0: months later after I started
1: zero work had been done on
0: warfare it was still just a single design document and of only like 3 pages so not nothing extensive mm-hmm. so at some point somebody made the decision that that warfare was not going to happen but i remember jason jones coming to me and telling me that he wanted me to uh, basically be in charge of all of the multiplayer for halo 2 and i think i knew enough about what the struggles they're having on the campaign that i realized that was probably a good idea and at that point, someone decided it was also made sense to focus and integrate my team with the rest of the team. So
1: we all moved over into the sit with the rest of the team right in the middle of everything. So now here we are in March of 2003. And as you just heard, Warfare is no longer being developed and Max is off to design all of the multiplayer for the highly anticipated Halo 2. Next up, we'll talk about Max's approach and design philosophies of his small-scale multiplayer, which were now, of course, being applied to all of the multiplayer that was going to ship with Halo 2. So, Max, we're going to move into a few of the early documents, and one of my favorite things from them is the first item listed under Halo 2's multiplayer pillars. This is from your small-scale document plans, and it's very simple, but I think that simplicity is very important and rather than some big statement, uh, pillar number one is simply Halo 2's multiplayer will be a refinement of Halo One's multiplayer.
0: Yeah, I had a put a stake in the ground that said if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. And there, and there was plenty that worked in Halo One that I thought, well, you let's build on that. Um, yeah, there's no need to reinvent the wheel, right? And so a lot of those a lot of those stakes in the ground were that. And then they were also acknowledging there's room for improvement. We can we can fix some of this stuff too and improve it, make it better. Mm-hmm. Those things that I was doing when I was just doing the small scale game were, they were sort of obvious, right? It, it was clear stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I, I kind of grew up playing in the marathon games, um, Bungie's original shooters. I, I grew up playing marathon multiplayer arena style and really enjoyed it. And, and a lot of what Halo 1 did just fell back on
1: those sort of uh, marathon instincts. You know, something worth mentioning here, Max, I think is... Part of the success of Halo Two, your success, is that they were obvious to you uh, because you know not all designers take the "if it ain't broke, don't fix it" approach.
0: There, there wasn't anything that I was trying to do when I was doing the small scale multiplayer that was revolutionary um, on the multiplayer Mm -hmm. design side, right? Like nothing, nothing I was trying to do was revolutionary. It was pure refinement Mm -hmm. um, and thinking about taking this online and just
1: making it work. Yeah. So where does that exact work began when it comes to taking multiplayer online for the first time uh, properly on Xbox Live, of course. What did the beginning of of that look like? I I
0: was actually thinking during Halo 1, I was actually thinking originally that we were going to launch Halo 1 online, Hmm. sort of naively thinking that live would be ready and we were going to launch. And so early days, I I had on Halo 1, I started sort of ruminating on what the online feature set might be. for a a Halo game, Mm -hmm. but really didn't get very far and I got distracted with other things. When I ended up taking over all of the multiplayer, I remember sitting back and needing to think, okay, if I'm doing all the multiplayer, if this is the entirety of the multiplayer experience, we've lost the, we're no longer doing the innovation, so to speak of warfare, what can we do that's innovative? Um, And there was even pressure for internally on the development team to be more innovative and, and it was challenging, Mm -hmm. you know, I had, I had exceptionally limited resources, um, development wise and time was short. And while I was doing that small scale multiplayer design, I was also doing the online system design for halo. And right from day one, I had a lot of ambition and there was a lot there that was ambitious and revolutionary, for instance, parties, Mm -hmm. you know, and matchmaking and other things. Mm -hmm. We had a good foundation and things that were working we had already built our, our first two maps out the gate were lockout and midship right <laughs> it's amazing and i think after that was ascension mm-hmm. and those three maps changed very little from you know they we shipped pretty close to what we built we were playing every day because that was also one of our mandates to be play testing daily mm-hmm. and and it was working and it was fun so it was like how do you innovate in this world where we already have this foundation that's really solid and not particularly innovative. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're strapped for resources and we're doing all this innovative stuff elsewhere. So how do you innovate with gameplay? Uh, became a, it, That was an
1: interesting conundrum. So we'll spend a lot of time talking about the online and social feature set that Max spoke about earlier, things like parties and matchmaking, much more in this series starting with the next episode. But before we get there, there were, of course, ways that Halo 2 multiplayer would ultimately update and innovate on gameplay as well. We'll talk about a few of those next. We'll start with some big ticket items. I want to start with Dual Wield. Uh, this was first shown off at E3, of course. Uh, do you remember specifically, though, how how early it was a stake in the ground?
0: I remember Dual Wielding being one of the big innovative sort of pillars really early on, like from right from the get-go. I, I theorized that it came from Jamie Grisomer. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what hand Jason Jones had in it, but I, I'm pretty sure it was Jamie's idea. I think when we started design on Halo 2, right right out the gate, they must have... some pillars down that included dual wielding amongst a a couple others. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I remember knowing that dual wielding was planned and knowing that it was coming long before it ever actually got
1: implemented. Do you remember, it's it's quite a change from Halo 1 and I think if we think about big sandbox changes from Halo game to Halo game it's obviously one of the biggest. Uh, Was there any opposition to dual wield within the studio and the team or was it just kind of universally adopted across the team? I think uh,
0: conceptually everyone Thought it was really cool, right? Because we put we put our pillars down, and we're going to do these cool, innovative things, and then everyone rallied behind it. Mm-hmm. And then naturally, once you're in development, especially once you're play testing, any, anything that's unbalanced, everyone hates. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and we actually used multiplayer because the single player was in such a sorry state for so long and not really playable. We ended up using multiplayer. We, we got it playable really quickly, and we used that as the test bed the sandbox for testing all the multiplayer weapon or testing all the weapons in the game really Mm -hmm. um and you know jamie would would give me new new weapons i would integrate it into a multiplayer map and we'd integrate it into that day's multiplayer playtest. and jamie'd be using it to get feedback on the actual weapon design and and obviously dual wielding included there were people who loved it hated it and everything in between Mm -hmm. just
1: like any other weapon in the game sure sure In that same E3 demo, we also got our first look at playable elites, but I think one of the things that's most interesting is several of the original documents, uh, specifically one that was titled Multiplayer Game Engine from November of 2002, uh, references the original plans for many more multiplayer character models, or they were called Allowable Skin Classes. Uh, They included Human, Covenant, Elite the Dervish, which of course was many know was the original name for the Arbiter, yep. ODST, and Marine. Did these ever get into the build along with uh, the Elite? No,
0: the, those are those were all purely conceptual. I think what I was doing was I was trying to, I was trying to figure out what we needed to support warfare, right? The, the, this mm-hmm. big new mode. It was very asymmetric by design with different factions and different sides. And uh, it may have even had NPCs I don't actually remember. All of that was just me trying to, trying to figure out what we needed to do um, above and beyond the core gameplay to support Warfare. And then when Warfare went away, all of that just fell by the wayside. And just like Warfare 0, none of it was ever implemented. And even, you know, the one tiny remnant that, that we actually shipped with was playing as an elite in multiplayer. Um, but I, I don't think that that even came from that plan or from that document
1: ah okay really
0: all, all of that skin plans were abandoned early i would say probably not mm-hmm. that long after that november 2002 document <laughs> honestly because i think it was in um february
1: or march when i took over all multiplayer of 2003. Mm-hmm. Another big change to multiplayer, of course, is health versus no health. And we've seen it running in some alpha build videos from Game Cheat and Lord Zed on YouTube where, where health packs were actually placed on map on lockout. But so many of the original documents still show health and health pack listed uh, as early as you know 2002 and a, and a little bit into 2003. You know, Seeing it listed in so many places is so interesting. Do you remember when and why the change was made to move to a, a no health and a shields only system? We actually never did.
0: They're, they're actually, even in Halo 2, there, there is a health and shield system.
1: Sure. And Halo 3 as
0: well. Yep. yep.
1: And what happened is... Um, if hearing that Halo 2 and Halo 3 actually have health systems behind their shield systems that are displayed in the UI is confusing, don't worry. We'll circle back to it. So when we started the design, we just assumed you're going to have
0: health packs just like Halo 1. Mm-hmm. And there was never any master design that said that you're not. Um, somewhere along the lines, uh, Jamie actually kept tuning the the health system, right? And that the health model and the shields and and the way those systems work and their values, they're all tuned in parallel with the weapon right. system, you know, and the, the damage system itself and the underlying mm-hmm. weapon tuning and everything else. So those those things were constantly being tuned. And I, I remember there was a trend over time where health was progressively becoming a less significant proportion of your total vitality mm-hmm. and shields were becoming more significant. Over time, it just, that that trend continued and it just kept going and going and going. So we, we had actually implemented health packs, right? I mean, health packs are easy to implement. Mm-hmm. i had even placed a couple in the maps, but they just kind of became meaningless. Once your shields were down, one hit pretty much and you were dead, one or two hits and you were dead. Sure. And health really just didn't matter anymore. What I do remember is at one point we made the decision on the UI design team that's like, Health is so insignificant. Let's just remove it from the HUD altogether, right? And see what happens. It's not it's not worth showing, right? Because it's so mm-hmm. insignificant. It's just confusing. Let's sort of parallel the simplification that's happening in the damage system design and let's just show your let's just show your uh, shields and that's what we did and that's what we
1: shipped. Sure, yeah. And it's a small example of a simplification that I think really allowed Halo 2 multiplayer to be a kind of pick up and play run and gun multiplayer that it became so well known for. Yeah. Another one closely related is, uh, fall damage. <laughs> some of the original map design documents, specifically some of the midship paper designs, for example, include lines like these ladders never raise the player higher than a level they can jump from without taking damage, which is interesting to see. There's actually, you know, ladders across a lot of maps, lockout included. Uh, of course, Halo 2 ultimately shipped without fall damage. Do you remember the decision, um, on that one? Oh yeah, yeah, I do. I do because, uh, I remember agonizing
0: over that decision, actually, mm-hmm. probably more than many others on the multiplayer design side. I, so when we started design, again, we, we really started with Halo 1, right? And we had falling damage and it was just, it was just sort of a given. Mm-hmm. And that said, I felt that there was an aspect of fall damage that was not very satisfying as a player and had some accessibility issues, right? Every time someone would accidentally fall to their death, it felt like a bad experience for that person a sort of a negative experience
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I, I so so early on i was my thinking was all right well we'll just protect people you know what we'll, we'll put rails on so to speak and protect people mm-hmm. as best we can from accidentally falling to their death at the same time the very first map that we developed was lockout yeah and this floating thing right with all these like cool jumps that mm-hmm. you, you can't protect people from accidentally falling to their death on lockout right so you know, so we had to accept. All right, like early on, there's going to be cases where you fall to your death. You jump off lockout, there is no recovery, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you don't die, how are we going to respond? You, right. right? Or ascension was a similar thing. So it's like, okay, we are going to have you fall to your death, but should you really fall to your death when you hit the ground, right? When you actually hit a spot that is theoretically recoverable? And I remember, I remember agonizing over that, and I remember sort of surveying the team internally to try and get people's views on it, and what i recall is that it was really murky and nobody had a strong view like i i made my case for why we should consider removing fall damage mm-hmm. and i made the counter case of why we should keep it and what i re- recall is everyone basically agreeing with me and saying yeah that's a really hard decision
1: <laughs> so <good laughs> which is the you. least helpful thing you could get <laughs>
0: yeah 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 and i remember very clearly the moment where i was having a conversation with chris butcher about it mm-hmm. and i remember chris butcher who you know he told me he's like all right well one way or another you have to make a call it's your decision and we're you know we're past the point no return i don't remember why but it's your call and you have to make it yeah wow what pushed me over the edge was this thinking that the experience playing halo multiplayer is you should feel like a superman right you're you're this badass you're mm-hmm. running around in the super armor and but then you jump from a couple feet higher than you should and you break your ankle and die and it it felt incongruous to me and it, yeah And I really didn't like it. And I I really liked the notion that you should just be able to jump around like crazy and have fun with it and not worry about whether you judge the height appropriately or not. Mm -hmm. So I made the decision and we implemented it and we never looked back. I don't know why I didn't just give you a custom game setting to let you turn falling damage on, even if the default was off. Um, It seems like an easy thing to do. So it just, the thought never crossed my mind to have an option to allow fall damage. I guess I could have.
1: In some cases it feels like the right to sign decision was made and yeah. it's almost better that players didn't have an option there.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that the options that we had that we shipped in Halo Two, they really didn't alter the fundamentals of the of the systems. Mm-hmm. In Halo Three, I was I, I did all the initial work planning what our game options were gonna be. I think I shared that document with you even somewhere, showing what the do you remember that doc that shows all the initial game options? Was it for Halo three? for Halo 3. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. Or maybe I never shared that one. I need document number
1: 280. I need that one.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I have the original planning doc that I did when I planned out all the uh, custom settings for Halo 3, and you can see exactly what I was thinking, but yeah, I mean, I, I took I turned it up to 11 with Halo 3 intentionally. I love it.
1: So. We're already in pre-production for the follow-up series to this show.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go.
1: <laughs> So I have you know my list of things that I want to cover in today's episode, and there's a few more that are on that list. But before we move forward, in terms of gameplay-specific innovations, what what comes to mind that we, we haven't covered so far?
0: I would say there were some under-the-hood innovations, um, the Spawn Influencer system, mm-hmm. which you probably got exposed to back in your your
1: 343 three days. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's amazing because all those pieces are still in Halo development code with placing things in Sapien yeah. and yeah, it's it's all still there.
0: That spawn influencer system, it's this behind the scenes magic that actually people don't understand the unbelievable impact that it had on the quality of the experience of playing Halo 2 multiplayer. The best analogy to make for the for listeners who aren't aware of it is what the spawn influencer system did at its core, I'll simplify it, but it is really a heat map. So it's an overlay on top of all of those spawn points. So there's still a constellation of designer place spawn points on the map, but all of those spawn points have probabilities that affect how likely they'll be or unlikely they are to be chosen based on a dynamic heat map. And that heat map is influenced by all sorts of fun, positive and negative things. So for instance, Uh, A grenade that hasn't actually exploded but is going to explode soon will cast a strong negative influence on all the the spawn points that are in its vicinity because it sucks to spawn and immediately die from a grenade that was
1: about to go off. Halo 1 did not protect you from that. No, no, no. Not at all. (laughs) Another big-ticket item, Max, of course, is one-sided round-based objectives and just how much they brought to to Halo 2. Do you recall how early on you and the team made the decision to incorporate one-sided objective? I actually had the notion
0: um, before I was doing all the multiplayer when I was still doing the smaller-scale multiplayer. Mm-hmm. And the, the original idea was this. I was trying to account for all the different permutations of ways that people play the game. Um, the most limited, anyway, is just two people on one Xbox, no. right? all the way up to the extreme of 16 players, 16 Xboxes networked. And I figured, okay, th- then you go down that spectrum, there's like, all right, there's also scenarios where you've got four players on one Xbox. Right. And in those scenarios, there's a part of the game that's a lot of fun, which are these CTF, capture the flag games, which which have a simultaneous offense and defense roles. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of those games that a small group, they can't enjoy doing both roles, offense and defense, and getting to do them and enjoy teamwork. Right? Sure. So you're really forced to choose between either, you know, the two roles of offense and defense and teamwork. Mm -hmm. And so early on, I thought, okay, well, there's an, there's actually an easy fix to that, which is you do things round based, and you essentially alternate, then you're not forced to choose between defending your flag or attacking. Now, both players can be on offense together without sacrificing you know, the necessary defensive role. Mm-hmm. So that, that, was, that was the genesis of the idea. And, and the same carries on for, you know, let's say you're playing three on three. The, the idea was actually planned early on, but we were so strapped for implementation resources. Our gameplay programmer for multiplayer was actually only part-time. He was 50% resource and mm-hmm. 50% of the time he was doing other stuff for the game, uh, not related to multiplayer. So I, I had to be incredibly selective about what we implemented. So I had single flag CTF and round based on the docket for him, but we actually never got to it until all of a sudden, not only were we designing all the multiplayer, but we needed to figure out in about six weeks what we show at E3. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it's like, all right, well, you know what? I'm going to take this thing I've always wanted to do and we're going to escalate it and we're going to blow it up. And this is going to be one of our big inventions for the multiplayer Halo 2, this single flag CTF type round based objective mode. And one of the ways we're going to make it a bigger deal than I had planned is we're actually going to design a map around
1: it. Um, And that was, that was actually how Zanzibar came about. Right. Which is pretty incredible. And as we'll hear about in future episodes and have a chance to discuss, it had to come together very, very quickly. Yes.
0: Yeah. So when we went into saying, okay, Oh crap, we got six weeks, Jason and and Pete, who was the studio head at the time have made a commitment after last year's fiasco of any three, they've made a commitment to the rest of the team that they don't, they don't have to worry about E3, essentially, just ship the game. So they came to me, basically, we need you to figure out what we show at E3. So I, I had to scramble in like a matter of days
1: because the clock was ticking. But yeah, w- yeah we'll talk more about Zanzibar. <laughs> sure. Actually, I'm glad you bring it up because it's a perfect little tee up to what we'll cover in the maps episode. Yeah. Weapon trading is also detailed in a few multiplayer documents as well. The most detailed description comes from a large-scale multiplayer document. It states, uh, aim at an ally within 10 feet. They aim at you, one second delay, and then press X to trade weapons. Weapon trading, of course, would ship with campaign uh, and the ability to trade weapons with allies. But was it also working in multiplayer builds at any point? I I remember weapon trading. Weapon trading was actually a passion of mine, so I introduced that
0: idea. And I, I actually remember... I introduced it because I thought it was something that would be a good uh, teamwork facilitator in multiplayer. Mm-hmm. You know, you, everyone's had that moment where you have a new player on your team and they grab the rocket launcher or something, but you know, the whole, the stakes are really high and mm-hmm. there's nothing they can do except die to give it to you, right? Sure, yeah. So I kind of wrote it up in my specs and then it, it just fell by the wayside, just like the single flag CTF type round based game modes, because I was just so starved for engineering support, honestly. And it just never got implemented. And I never I never prioritized it high enough that it it trumped some of the other things that I needed implemented. Um, so it just it never got done. And, it, it you know, it's one of those things. I think it would have been fantastic and it just it just didn't make the cut. Right. You know, every every game ships with your wish list items. But then they implemented it in the campaign, which I found mildly annoying because <laughs> I could not get anybody. I could not get the resources to implement it in a multiplayer, and then it and then in showing up in campaign just was like salt in my wound. <laughs> not nothing malicious about it, of course, but I remember it every time. I, every time I
1: encountered that, it just made me grumpy. Yeah, I bet I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for one day. weapon trading <laughs> in Halo multiplayer.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll tell you a fun other thing real quick that I implemented in, in uh, multiplayer. Mm-hmm. So I had this notion that what can we do to facilitate more teamwork in multiplayer? And at some point I hit upon this crazy idea. It, it also bothered me that the Warthog had no tr- no weapon trigger, right, because all the other vehicles had a weapon. Mm-hmm. The Warthog had no weapon. So you pull the trigger and it just didn't do anything. And it, that really bothered me. So at one point I hit upon this idea, which is, oh man, what if you pull the trigger and it honks the horn mm-hmm. it's not a weapon it's stupid and it's silly but at least that way you can communicate to your teammates like hey get in jerks <laughs> right like hey i'm here get in and you can use the horn to communicate to your teammates so that one rather than go the uh, traditional route that one i actually just did skunk work style like i convinced um i think it might be michael evans one of the programmers to support me and i went to marty and jay uh, audio guys. And I said, Hey, I, I need help. I need, I need a horn. And we just stayed up late at night. One night, we didn't tell anyone we were doing it. And then the next day in our multiplayer playtest, I, I revealed, I was like, Hey, I remember who, but I was like, Hey, pull the trigger. And all of a sudden in the middle of our multiplayer playtest, everyone was zooming around honking their horn and rolling on the floor laughing. Cause it was awesome. I, I went about it a different way. Maybe I should have gone about with weapon trading skunk
1: work style. I would've had more success. It's funny you say that because the more and more you read about the stories of development on especially the original trilogy for Halo, so many features end with, so we stayed late a few nights and we got (laughs) it done. Yeah, exactly. So
0: I I think I had a lot to learn. I should have done more of that, but I was pretty new to development at the time. The, The key to making that work is you have to have people that are passionate about it to stay late with you. And for some reason, the horn, I got I got enough people that were passionate. I remember when the audio guys implemented it, they literally told me that the horn was a hybrid of a Honda
1: Civic and an 18-wheeler. <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. Coming up, Max and I discuss a few things that didn't quite make it into the final version of Halo 2. Hey, everyone. Just a quick note to say that if you're enjoying the show so far, please consider rating or leaving a review for the show on your podcast platform of choice. This is my first show, so it'll really help Halo fans find Halo 2 artifacts. Thanks, and now back to the show. Now, we're going to have an entire episode dedicated to Halo 2's cutting room floor and all of the cut features later on in this series, but as a bit of a teaser, there are a few multiplayer mode-related items that make sense to talk about in this episode before we wrap up. There's a few modes that are referenced in these design documents that ultimately did not ship with the game or shipped differently. Uh, the first of that that only appears in two of the documents, the first uh, mentioned being in December of 2003, was the game mode mode. Assassin, which was bringing back Kill and Order from yep. from Halo One. I remember Kill and Order. Yeah, yeah, I remember the game. Yeah, and it was actually quite fully specced out for a game that that didn't ship just a quick note for listeners who might not be familiar with the game mode kill in order from halo one it's essentially slayer but you kill your opponents in order you only score points when your team kills a specific rotating target on the opposing team and that player is highlighted by a persistent waypoint over the player's head halo 2's unshipped mode assassin that we're talking about here was going to bring a bunch more customization options to the mode Do you remember anything about Assassin or if it ever made it into a build? I must have spec'd it out and then
0: abandoned it pretty quickly. It definitely was never implemented. At some level, it might've been a casualty of me having to be so unbelievably selective in what I implemented. I I genuinely had so little resources available to me. I've heard people say that the multiplayer must've been where Bungie put all their eggs, their energy, their effort, but simply was not the case from a manpower standpoint. Mm -hmm. We we were maybe 10% of the, of the manpower on the, on all of Halo two. Right. So anyway, I just had to be incredibly selective. So I, I had some early plans that, you know, then ultimately kind of met the, the cutting board as I was forced to prioritize. And I imagine that assassin was just one of those, one of those early cuts. For
1: some reason, I I abandoned that pretty quickly. <laughs> Another fun one is that in a multiplayer game rules document from late 2002, we find that Juggernaut was originally very different from the final ship version because we've seen leaked footage of the Juggernaut from campaign, the flood Juggernaut. And the original multiplayer spec also states that the Juggernaut assumes the form of an actual Juggernaut from the game. Uh, sturdier faster do more damage and can jump twice as high yeah <laughs> uh, instead of weapons they rely on two tentacles linked to the left and right triggers which are short range melee attacks yeah. and pressing the trigger of the tentacle that picked up the item then hurdles that item at a terrific speed in the direction they're facing
0: that was that was all that was my plan I just never could get enough uh, manpower to implement it mm-hmm. so we had to we had to implement you know we had to work with what we had play with the hand we were dealt I'm trying to think whether we actually implemented a game mode and didn't ship it I'd have to go look, but I can't think of one off the top of my head.
1: Oh, I, I got you. That's okay. A, Is there one in my document? It's a perfect TIA. Okay. <laughs> We've actually seen the game working in leaked Halo 2 beta builds, Ooh, okay. and it's pretty neat to see the actual spec for Headhunter written out what? in its entirety. It was fully spec'd out, and it would not ship until Halo Reach. Oh my God. Do you remember and, how far the game type made it? I mean, in the beta builds that you can find within the Halo modding community, um, you know, folks like Game Cheat and Lord Said, you do drop heads, you do collect heads. There's um placeholder UI that says percentage heads picked up. Yeah, yeah. But it's so interesting because this game type fully spec'd and, and started to be built for Halo 2, also included in the Halo 3 Alpha, and it had a serious road to finally shipping. So <laughs> I'd love to hear your, your memories of it in Halo 2. So I must have
0: specced out Headhunter. I do have vague recollection of that. Um, no, I, I remember the plans for the game. Mm-hmm. Again, I had, to, I had to make hard choices. Yeah. Um, you know, I was under constant pressure and it sounds kind of silly, but I, I was so hamstrung on the UI side, just the UI to implement like game mode settings and things like that, or even just game mode selection, the mm-hmm. UI to implement a new game mode turned up to be massive bottleneck, more than you would think. So something like Headhunter probably got implemented and some of the basic functionality was working. But then the the actual user interface integration turned out to be the death knell for so many things, including that. Mm -hmm. But I'm pretty sure that we simply did not have the bandwidth to integrate Headhunter into the user interface for the
1: game. One of my favorite playtest notes is from an Assault playtest, also from November uh, of 2002 or so, maybe early 2003, and it reads, we absolutely need a better name than Assault, something <laughs> like Bombing Run or Delivery, which is it was quite funny just because, you know, the game mode obviously shipped as Assault and has appeared in every main Halo game for the past 16 years as Assault.
0: Yeah, I remember writing that comment, and, and it was a terrible name and I can't believe it stuck. But yeah, you know, what's interesting about the naming is pr- pretty much everything in Halo 2 multiplayer, I ended up naming. Um, Mm-hmm. I like call the game modes all the maps all the even even like all the announcer
1: all the script for the announcer all that stuff mm-hmm. I end up writing all of that I'm really glad you brought up multiplayer announcer because there are some voice lines that either were recorded and then uh, left in files or were never recorded that we'll get to later in the series so that'll be good
0: oh yeah I I remember I had to uh I had to spec out all the multiplayer announcer stuff really quickly because for some reason. Mm-hmm. Somehow, I don't know if there was miscommunication or what, but we are bringing in the multiplayer announcer. Jeff Steitzer. Yes, 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 that's right. He's awesome. And uh, I had very little time to like whip this script into shape. And I think I had all along, I had been tracking what I wanted, but it didn't, it, it covered the necessary things, but it didn't cover mm-hmm. all the fun extra things. So some of the crazy stuff in there was probably just my like 12 hours, like, put everything on paper that I
1: can think mm-hmm. of. <laughs> yeah, there are some fun ones in there for sure. Cool. You'll have to jog my memory. <laughs> yes, and there's some that I might try to get a hold of Jeff Steitzer. We'll see <laughs> if we, we can get a re-record on a few yeah. of them.
0: Yeah, I, I actually remember the recording session sitting in the control room next to Marty. He'd be like, you yeah, know, do it do it like this, do it like that. And then he'd you know, ask me, is that
1: satisfactory? Mm-hmm. I, I, I was starstruck by Steitzer. yeah it's pretty incredible it feels like through every iteration of halo multiplayer no matter what comes out of jeff steitzer's mouth it's uh it's always pretty epic yeah tell me if you remember anything about this one in one document there's a mention of three different assault objects that were originally planned and they varied by map there was the bomb the monitor and the forerunner artifact i could see players kind of loving uh you know multiple objective options did any of these ever start to get built out
0: no same same thing um Man, a lot of these documents that, that you saw are, are really early documents when it was mm-hmm. it was really just kind of just kind of brainstorming and throwing things out there. Sure. Before the rubber met the road. And I I think those were just ideas to make Assault more fun and more contextual and you know, give it a tiny little tiny little bit of fictional wrapper and flavoring. But yeah, unfortunately all that stuff again,
1: paper design only. Um, though I would have loved it, it would have been fun. Yeah, I think people would love things like multiple objective object types uh, oh, yeah. just fun stuff like that to, to change it up from game to game
0: I, I always thought you know back when we did um when we did the halo 2 anniversary for mcc
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and we worked with the publishing team at 343 and they kind of they, they had this notion of calling it the director's cut because we were implementing a number of things that i wanted but didn't actually you know get into the game now that you've jogged my memory more i'm like man, we could have gone so much further. There there were so many other things I wanted that we never even sort of scratched the surface of because Mm -hmm. they were paper design only or or other reasons. So yeah, a a true director's cut, so to speak,
1: um, would have actually gone a lot further even than we did in in MCC. Yeah, sure. Max, I feel like we've really only just begun here. It has been great to hear about the beginning and we've got a lot more to explore. Uh, And I think it's a fantastic tee-up to the rest of the series.
0: Yeah, I look forward to talking more. I think at some point we should also be sure to touch a little bit on why you're so interested because my my understanding is that uh, Halo multiplayer has uh, had huge impact on you. And, and that's the other side of this equation is not just what I was thinking and what I was doing, but how those things were actually, how well they worked or didn't and how they're being received by players. So hopefully we'll go there too a little bit.
1: Sure, yeah. I think it's not an exaggeration to say that this game shaped not only my uh, professional career, but also, you know, many, many of my best relationships. So I think we'll, it'll be fun to kind of dive into exactly what this game means on a, on a cultural level and also a personal level. Awesome. I
0: look forward to it. It's been fun chatting. And, and now I want to go look at these old design docs again, because there's some fun stuff in there that I hadn't thought about in 15 years. I'm going to have to go back and look and uh, jog my own memories. So uh, that's kind of cool. But no, it's been fun talking. I've really enjoyed it. And I look forward to next time.
1: Thanks so much for checking out episode one of Halo 2 Artifacts. We hope you enjoyed, and episode two is coming up very soon. It'll focus on all the online innovation that Halo 2 would bring. Things like parties, matchmaking playlists, and so much more. We'll have a special guest joining us for that episode, and we hope you'll join us as well. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'll see you right back here for episode two. Episode 1 of Halo 2 Artifacts was written, produced, and edited by me, Andy Bravo-Dedinsky. Special thanks go out to Max Holberman and the entire Halo 2 team at Bungie, and I'd also like to thank Jay Goldberg, Dave Miller, Tahir hassan and Sydney Goodman. Music is used under license from Epidemic Sound. Halo is a copyright of the Microsoft Corporation, and Halo 2 Artifacts was created under Microsoft's game content usage rules. It is not endorsed by or affiliated with Microsoft. Thanks for listening.